Hey everybody, welcome to The Extra Report. I'm Raven X, and before we get started with this week's episode, myself and Ethan would like to extend our condolences to the loved ones, family members, and just overall fans of the late, great Bill Russell. The Celtics legend passed away this past Sunday at the age of 88. Honestly, a true pioneer and icon of the game, not just in terms of basketball, but in terms of civil rights and merging the gap between sports and social justice. So, like to extend our condolences to him and his family even though we all know i'm a lakers fan i hate the celtics i've always had a respect for bill russell ethan anything you want to say about mr russell Word. So, like I said, just before we got started, I wanted to extend those condolences and our love and well wishes. But, all right, we got a pretty heavy football show today. Of course, we are going to talk to Deshaun Watson, suspension, as well as wide receivers making bank. And then we're going to rank defensive players, each by position. And then finally, we're going to close out with our SummerSlam recap because I like SummerSlam a lot. I don't know if you did, but I thought SummerSlam was pretty Great. So, all right, let's go ahead and start off on a much lighter note. Ryan Kerrigan has announced his retirement for from the league, signed a one-day deal with the Washington Commanders to retire with the franchise, spent much of his career there but spending, before spending last season with the Philadelphia Eagles. So congratulations to him. Now let's talk about some players making banks. It all started with DK Metcalf. He signed a three-year extension with the uh, Seattle Seahawks for $72 million, which includes $58.2 million guaranteed. Um, and he got a $30 million signing bonus. Uh, Metcalf will be a free agent again at 27, which means he's bound to get at least another big deal. Also joining him in signing was Debo Samuel finally ending the months-long drama between he and the team. He signed a three-year, $73.5 million deal with $58.1 million guaranteed. And he has an interesting anecdote added to it as well. As we know, he redefined the wide back position and will receive $650,000 per year. Each year, he has 380 or more rushing yards. Samuel will also earn $150,000 if he scores three rushing touchdowns in any one year. The deal maxes out at $650 per year and $1.95 million over the life of the deal. So three years, that's not bad, especially if he does keep up this wide back deal. So if you're in Seattle... Let's start off with Seattle. If you're Seattle, how happy you are for DK to get his money. You don't have to worry about it. But also, on the other hand, DK, like we mentioned, is going to be a free agent again at the age of 27. So who do you think won in this situation, the team or the player? He has the potential to grow into one of the top wide receivers. 
his maximum potential. He can break the bank in only a short amount of short matter of time in these upcoming years. So I think both of them won. Yeah, and I think I think I would lean towards slightly more towards DK just because. He just because it's a short term deal, he has opportunity to make some more money. Cause let's be honest, right now the going rate for wide receivers is between that twenty five, thirty million dollar range. Just imagine how much higher it's gonna be in three years, especially for a player like DK who possibly will just be just hitting his prime around that time. But all right, what about the 49ers? Who you think won in that deal? I think I would go 49ers just because you bring back your most explosive player and you actually got to keep him cheaper than DK's deal was, even if it is just a hundred grand cheaper. And in addition to that, because of the incentives, you can kind of work together how much you use him as a running back because now he's going to want to run the ball more and get more rushing touchdowns because he wants to make more money. So I think it's really a win-win for San Fran. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think San Fran won. Like you say, they signed him for less money than DK. They put those incentives in to um, kind of – Give him the motivation to play the wide back position, a position that he said that he didn't want to continue playing throughout the remainder of his career. And when you're making this move to bring in a young quarterback in Trey Lance, you need all of your weapons. And now you have your best weapon. And you also could potentially have um, some scheme versatility where you can have Debo start out outside, you motion him into the backfield, or all of the things that they did with him with Jimmy G, but now you also have a different wrinkle in the aspect of now you have a guy in Trey Lance that's mobile. If you motion Debo into the backfield and everyone thinks he's going to get the ball, now you have a quarterback who has athletic capabilities to take off and run, and you can turn it into a zone read type of uh, offense. So I think the sky's the limit with the addition of Debo, and especially if he does continue to play this wide back position. And then also, this is just, I guess, the pessimist in me. But let's be honest, if, especially if he continues that wide back position and he takes a whole bunch of punishment, after three years, the 49ers, let's say he does suffer a big injury or maybe multiple injuries start popping up. If you're the 49ers, you only committed to him in this role for the next three years, so who's to say you won't be able to just to move on at that time and find somebody else to move that role in a much cheaper capacity? But all right, it seems like most of the big guys in terms of the 2019 wide receiver class are done besides Steelers wide receiver Deontay Johnson. Um, as of now, it seems like talks between he and the team have not gone anywhere. And it does beg the question, is Deontay Johnson worth $20 million a year? Now, personally, and knowing the Steelers and watching what they've done in free agency, they have not exactly been big spenders with regards to wide receivers. So, kind of a two-parter. One, does Deontay Johnson deserve to be a $20 million a year receiver? And if so, will the Steelers be the team to give him that money? Um, the first part of that question, I'm going to have to say, I don't think he deserves to be a $20 million receiver. I think that he still has a lot to prove. Like he, for one, he has to decrease his drop rate. He yeah. made a lot of spectacular plays last year, but he also made a lot of, of like key crucial drops on plays. And that's something that you have to clean up. And especially if you're asking to make $20 million um, a year. As far as the second half of that question, 
I don't think the Steelers would make that um make that um that leap to sign him to that type of deal. Like you said, they don't. They typically don't make those moves. I think you can see a team that in the um, upcoming couple seasons, once they see what the structure of their team is and once he becomes a free agent, they might jump on it and make that move. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you on both accounts. I think Deontay Johnson is fine. But, I mean, and kind of referring to that 2019 draft class, that in terms of wide receivers, it's pretty stacked. You got Terry McLaurin, A.J. Brown, D.K., Debo, pretty solid wideouts. And then, of course, there's some other ones like um, Hollywood Brown, Darius Slayton. So if we're comparing uh, Deontay to the first few guys I named, he's like the fifth best wideout of that class. And I honestly, I think that Chase Claypool has a chance to show that he's the best wide receiver on the Steelers. And if that's the case, Deontay Johnson will kind of find himself on the outs, or at least he'll get a deal, but probably not as much as he thinks he will. So I don't think I'd give him 20 mil. I don't think the Steelers will, but I think some other team would do it just because he is talented, even if he's not as flashy as other guys that we mentioned. All right, so... Let's go ahead and talk the Miami Dolphins. Now, throughout the offseason, there was rumors circulating that they had reached out to Tom Brady and tried to get Sean Payton on board, but it seemed like just rumors. However, yesterday, news broke that they were trying, and not only trying, but trying for years. The... The Dolphins have been will have to forfeit their 2023 first round pick and a third round pick in the 2024 uh, draft, as well as owner Stephen Ross is suspended through October 17th. 2022 because the NFL discovered impermissible communications between Tom Brady in both the 2019 and 2020 seasons while he was a member of the Patriots as well as the 2021 season when he was with the Buccaneers and they reached out to Sean Payne prior to his retirement while he was still with the Saints biggest issue being this is tampering on a whole nother degree now the NFL also came out and said that they did not find much merit to the claim made by former head coach Brian Flores that Stephen Ross had offered him $100,000 to lose games during the 2019 season to improve their draft standing. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that if those conversations did take place, even if it's Stephen Ross, I guess, made it seem like a joke. But overall, just how do you feel about this Dolphins situation looking back on everything that we know now? Oh. Uh. I think that, honestly, I think they shot themselves in the foot. They potentially, in a lot of ways, they sold their souls to get some things that they didn't even get. Like, it'll be different if they did all this and they were to get Sean Payton as their right. head coach and did these things and they were able to get Tom Brady as their quarterback. But neither one of those things came to fruition. And now you are potentially in the position of like because of the punishment that you receive you're potentially hindering your team from growing especially in this next year losing a first round pick because quite honestly yes the dog a lot of people have questions around to a quarterback but now with you guys losing a first round pick essentially you might have to stick with Tua a little bit longer than you thought if he doesn't truly paying out to be the guy that you want unless you're able to somehow trade into the first round. Um, and 
also just when you make the moves that you've made, when you bring in Tyreek Hill, you bring in Raheem Mostert, you um you bring in shoot, what's the coach's name? Mike uh, Mike uh, McDaniel. Yeah, Mike McDaniels. You bring in like a whole new a whole new regime. Um, and it's a lot of hype around your name and now some of that hype is getting um just getting taken away because people are now talking about the tampering things that you've done and just negative things that you've done as an organization. Yeah, I I think you really hit it on the head because it is funny that, like, after all this, you got none of the people you got in trouble for. And then you mentioned it as well. I mean, with Tua, you're not really sure exactly what you're going to get. And so because of that, that next year's draft pick could prove to be really valuable in terms of trying to get his replacement or at least using that as ammunition to get his replacement. So I think that the Dolphins 100% played themselves. Um, But I think that kind of going back to the Brian Flores tip, I saw a tweet. I'm not a tweet. It was a post on Instagram that was like uh, Bill Belichick, quote, unquote, accidentally texting Brian Flores instead of Brian Dorball partly led to his division division rival losing a first round pick chess not checkers and I think that it's it's funny that like the NFL when they were investigating Brian Flores's claims they found up they found a whole nother can of worms that they weren't even expecting to get and like I said on the Brian Torres tip, Flores tip it does suck that it seems like he's not necessarily getting the the I guess the credit that he deserves as well as like finding veracity in what he said but overall the Dolphins still look like a joke especially if all this happens and then they have a bad year next year it's gonna be rough so yeah I think it's I think it's a shame but not much more of a shame than the suspension given to Deshaun Watson it was announced on Monday that Deshaun Watson was going to be suspended for six games uh meaning he will miss their games against the Panthers, Jets, Steelers, Falcons, Chargers, and Patriots. So let's start things off on the Deshaun Watson tip. I know you and I, we haven't talked about it in depth much lately just because we wanted to wait to see how the suspension played out. But now that we know this is what he's getting, how do you think this suspension is? Do you think that it's a fair suspension? Do you think that it's too little, too much? What are your thoughts on this suspension? Uh, I think that this suspension is um, a laughing stock. I think that I understand that it's a lot of people saying like, oh, the reason he only was able to get six games is because it's allegations and nothing was proven. But I think that in my personal opinion, granted, even though it is allegations, as a, as a, Sometimes someone has to be a sacrificial lamb. Right. And I think that the NFL has had numerous instances where their players have had run-ins with misconduct towards women. And quite honestly, in my opinion, out of the ones that I've heard of or seen, in a sense, this might be the biggest one because this is the largest number of women that came in um, to say something about one player. Yes, the Ray Rice situation, we have the footage. Mm-hmm. And he was honestly, rightfully, like he didn't play in the league basically after that. And I think in the case of Deshaun Watson, like that's something to where, like, I feel like they should have kind of put the hammer down and said like, hey, not just, not only because we think he isn't the fair amount of games, 
but we have to send a message to every other individual that plays in this league to let them know, like, hey, this is something that we don't tolerate. This is something that is um, that is indisputable as a no to play in this league. And I thought they should have at least given him, at a minimum, 13-plus games. And to see him get six, and then you have a guy in Calvin Ridley who made a bet on FanDuel about his team, and he's suspended for the whole year. Right. Yeah, so like, – I'm sorry, keep going. That, no, I was just going to say, like, this kind of – this baffling to me to where it's like, okay, you're suspending a guy for making a bet on his team on FanDuel. You're suspending him the whole season, but yet you have a guy that – Granted, and again, I say, like, everyone's talking about it wasn't proven that he did these things. But I'm going to be honest. If 20-plus people say someone did something, at least, I will say at least five of those people were actually telling the truth and something has happened. Yeah, 100%. I mean, for to go off what you, the last thing you said, I mean, I totally agree with that. Like, like, because I've had many conversations with this. One of my best friends is a Browns fan. And so he and I have talked about this a lot. And I told him, at best, Deshaun Watson is just a creep who tries to use his stature as a way to get women to sleep with him. At worst, he's actually a freaking predator. And even though, like you said, I mean, it's too many allegations for every single one of these women to be lying. Like, I feel like even, I don't, I won't go as far as say I think he raped any of these women or that he necessarily sexually assaulted any of these women. But in terms of sexual misconduct, at least with a handful of them, something happened. And I think that, especially early going, early on, like after the New York Times uh, article came out and it came out, he saw like 66 different massage therapists in the span of less than two years. And then you start to see some of the conversations, you watch the depositions, you see some of the affidavits, like you get all this evidence. And like I said, maybe he didn't specifically commit a crime, but if you're the NFL, like you said, you would think Deshaun Watson be, would be the one to be made an example out of. Because as you mentioned, there have been other people who've committed crimes against women. You know, you all know my feelings about Ben Rapisberger. I can't believe he wasn't kicked out of the league after being accused of rape twice bray rice another example of domestic violence greg hardy another one there are so many different instances of players getting suspended an inadequate amount of time but they still get an opportunity and then as a woman it's frustrating because as much as i love football it's like damn like y'all just do not care about women y'all care more about dogs y'all care more about gambling you care more about all these other things but you don't care about women and at least in the case of deshaun watson i thought he would have got a longer suspension not necessarily because of the crimes against women and trying to make him an example but because he made the league look bad because now people who don't even watch football know exactly who Deshaun Watson is. And it has nothing to do with his play on the field. It's for what he did. And he's always going to be associated with the NFL as long as he is in the NFL. So, yeah, as you said, I think that the suspension is a laughing stock. I think it's a joke. But unfortunately, I'm just not surprised. As much as I want to blame the NFL, technically, it's not their ruling. It's a judge that they hired to, like, help facilitate you know suspensions and things like that so i guess i can't totally put the blame on them but they still do have the right to appeal 
and like overturn it because they are the NFL. It's their league. They can really do what they want, but it doesn't look like they're going to do that. So I think it's some bullshit, but he's still going to play. So I guess there's that. Also, this is, this is probably the thing that pisses me off the most. Did you read the New York Times thing that came out? No, I didn't. Okay. It's, it's long, but the thing that probably made me the most upset about the whole situation because like they had text messages and like i said like just depositions and like for women some of the women who accused him or like they had conversations between him and those women like after the fact or and one of uh, for a few of them he used the term like whenever he she they he would keep trying to come back to these women he'd be like i'm just trying to support black business like i ain't gonna lie that probably pisses me off the most about this like don't be a freaking creep and possibly even a predator under the guise of supporting black business get the fuck out of my face but yeah no not a fan but i mean it is what it is can't do nothing about it now but all right let's look at it from a football standpoint the cleveland browns already announced that jacoby Brissett would be taking over as the starter in deshaun watson's stead so let's kind of break it down game by game, starting with the Panthers game, week one. Do they win that game without Deshaun? No. I honestly think that if I think that Baker Mayfield is going to be the starting quarterback for the Panthers week one. And I think that he's going to shred them to pieces. It's funny because with this game, it's like I think Baker is either going to absolutely destroy them or he's going to throw like three picks. There's no real in between. But push come to shove, I don't trust the Browns offense right now, so I'm going to say Panthers win. All right, Jets. My friend Malik thinks I'm crazy because I said I could definitely see the Jets win in this game, and I'm going to stick by it. I think the Jets win. That's fair. All right, three, Steelers. This is a bit of a toss-up, but uh, what, what do you say? I think that the Steelers are going to take it because by I think by week three, even though they might still have some questions around quarterback play, I think that's when they're, going, that's when they're really going to understand their identity and realize, like, hey, we're just going to be a strong defensive team. We're going to put the ball in Najee Harris's hands, and he's going to help. He's going to basically win those games, and I think that's what's going to happen against Cleveland. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, yeah, in terms of quarterback conversation, I'm not really sure what the Steelers have going on, but honestly, I don't think it's any. I think it's pretty much on par with what the Browns got. So, if it comes down to defense, I think I trust the Steelers more. So, okay, so. We both, as of right now, we both have the Browns going one and two in the first two games. All right, so what about their game against the Falcons? I think they win that. Yeah, me too. All right, Chargers, that's an L. Yeah, that's a big L. All right, Patriots, I got them losing. Yeah, me too. All right, so pretty much we're both in agreement about uh, the Browns going two and four through the first six games. And then Deshaun Watson, his first opponent, will be the Baltimore Ravens, where we better freaking win. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some training camp talk. As much as we love training camp because it just puts us one step closer to the start of the season, unfortunately, this is also a time where some injuries take place. First things first, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers suffer a huge blow with center Ryan Jensen suffering a torn ACL kick effectively ending his hopes of playing this season another big injury comes out of denver wide receiver tim patrick suffered a torn acl at practice and will be missing this season as well i i feel like i know what you're going to say and i think we're going to have the same answer but between these two whose loss do you think is going to be felt more i know we're going to say the same thing yeah yeah i mean he He's one of the better centers in the NFL. He's a guy that has built a rapport with Tom Brady. He's the quarterback of the offensive line. He's a guy that makes all the offensive line checks and calls. Um, and I, I just think that when you have a quarterback as accomplished as Tom Brady and you have someone that he has like that type of connection with, and those guys could be on, are normally on the same page. And now that you are inserting someone in that isn't as familiar, that's always going to be a sign for trouble, especially when you're a team that has, like, high playoff aspirations. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we were going to be in agreement on this. I think not having Ryan Jensen is going to be a huge blow. I mean, Tristan Wurst is amazing. We know that. But Ryan Jensen is right up there, one of the best centers in the league. I mean, as you mentioned, he has so much chemistry with Tom Brady to where it just seems instantaneous like he makes things work he makes sure Tom doesn't get hurt too much like Ryan Jensen is a major part of that offense so not having him is a big blow and since we just said his name happy birthday Tom Brady you bum everybody knows he's not a bum but all right let's get to some fun stuff before we play our game of believable or buffoonery let's rank some defensive players starting with defensive tackles Everybody knows who number one is, but two through five is where things get interesting. So, starting things off, Ethan, who you got at five? At five, this is where I have Fletcher Cox. Big love for Fletch. Okay. Five for me is Jeffrey Simmons. Um, last year, I would I don't think anybody would really argue he was the second best defensive tackle in the league. And I think if he shows it again. He can probably he'll definitely move up this list, but in comparison, comparing his resume to the other guys I have ahead of him, I can't put him up here just yet. All right, who you got at four? Four, I have um, Vita Vega. Vita is a good one. All right, four, I got Cam Hayward. While he is not Aaron Donald, nor is he on Aaron Donald's level, I think he's one of the most consistent defensive tackles the league has had in a really long time. A great a great pass rusher, a great run stopper. I mean, he and TJ Watt really make that thing go up there in Pittsburgh. Um, all right, three. Three, I have a tie of Chris Jones and um, Cam Hayward. Mm-hmm. Three, I got DeForest Buckner. I think that DeForest Buckner kind of goes under the radar, but another guy who just does a little bit of everything on such a high level. Another case of if you take him off of the Colts' defensive line, I think that they struggle mightily. Plus, I mean, he was the best defensive lineman in uh, in San Francisco before they traded him, but that's a whole other conversation. All right, two. Two. I'm riding away. I'm going with my guy, Big Joe. That's fair. All right, uh, two for me is Chris Jones. 
I mean, just one of the better uh, pass rushing defensive tackles in the league. I mean, now with uh, what's the name, Tyron Matthew gone from Kansas City, he's obviously the best defensive player in there, and I think that he's going to be due for a really big year, especially with the other additions that they have added to the squad. All right, number one, it's not fun anymore, but he's fun to watch, Aaron Donald. Yeah, it's AD. Yeah, I mean, it can't be nobody else. All right, let's get to some fun stuff, though. Let's talk edge rushers where our list could possibly look very different. For me, starting at five, I got Von Miller. I think that just because Von Miller's been doing it for so long and he's a bit up there in age, we kind of don't give him the credit that's due. But, I mean, he was amazing for the Rams, especially down the stretch. I believe he had four sacks. No, he had like three or four sacks in the Super Bowl. He was just an absolute terror, been a terror throughout his whole career, and I think he's going to provide some new life to this Bills defense. So I'm going to show Vaughn some love and put him at five. Um, for me, at five, this is where I have the Darius Smith. The Darius. Even after missing last year? Yeah, I think he, gone. He, he signed with a division rival. Obviously, has some motivation. I think he's going to come back with a vengeance. I can see that. I think him and Daniel Hunter are going to be a really, really nasty duo. All right, four, Joe, Nick Bosa. I know a lot of people put him over his brother, and I get it, but I would just say in terms of what he's done so far compared to what his brother has done so far, I think he's got to um, accomplish a bit more before I put him up there, but let's not get it twisted. Nick Bosa is a bad man. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you with Nick Bosa. Number three, this is where I have his brother, Joey Bosa, just another really consistent guy. I mean, he pretty much was the Chargers' front seven while everybody else kind of seemed like they were just there and that pass rush just was not getting home. No matter what, Joey Bosa was wreaking havoc, and you got to give him his due for that. I also have – actually, I have a tie. Okay. I have Joey Bosa and Max Crosby. That's fair. That's fair. All right, uh, number two for me is Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, when you look at him, you know he is a football player. He is a phys physical specimen. He is tremendous. He, another case of he is that Browns defensive line. And, I mean, no matter who you put on him, how everybody knows he's coming, I mean, Miles Garrett is going to get home. If I had to nitpick at anything, it just seems like every year he starts off like a freaking rocket coming out cannon, but then he always kind of slows down over the course of the year. But I mean, he's a reason. He's always in the defensive player of the year conversation for a reason. So I, I definitely gotta give it to Miles. Yeah, I'm in agreement with Miles Garrett also. All right, so number one, if I could steal any player from any of my division teams, it would be T.J. Watt. I hate the Steelers, hate everything about them besides T.J. Watt. That is a bad, bad man, and I'm happy that he finally got his Defensive Player of the Year award this past year. Yeah, I also got T.J. Watt as number one. All right, let's talk off-ball linebackers starting at number five. Who you got? Off-ball linebackers at number five, I have Harold Landry. He, he's a guy that's under the radar. He had a really got his first, I think one of his first double-digit sacks season mm -hmm. last season. And I just think that now he's going to be a fixture for a couple of years. Yep, 12 sacks. Alright, for me at 5, I got Roquan Smith. 
And with that being said, Chicago pay the man. I mean, he is just tremendous. And we don't I don't think he gets talked about as much just because his first couple of years he had to play with Khalil Mack and then Robert Quinn had 15 sacks, which is awesome and great. But Roquan Smith is just such a sure tackler. He's such a fixture of that defense. And I think that without him, if he really does hold out for an extended period of time, the Bears' offense could quite possibly be the worst one in the league. All right, number four. All right, for me at four, this is where I got Micah Parsons. Had a hell of a rookie year. I mean, just did everything, whether it be being great in pass coverage, stopping the run, rushing the passer. I mean, Michael Parsons just looked like a physical anomaly, and it's going to be crazy to see how much better he can be with another year of experience. I'm not like everybody else who's trying to put him at two or possibly one based off one year, but I think he does has earned the right to be in the top five. Yeah, and I have him at three. On that. At three, this is where I have Devin White, another guy who I feel like kind of falls under the radar just because of the people that he plays with. But, I mean, when you watch Devin White, I mean, he is another guy who is explosive, a terrific ta- tackler, great in coverage, and might be a little bit biased because he is one of my favorite all-time LSU Tigers. But, I mean, you watch that man play and you understand what all the hype is about. I have Devin White here, too. Really? Okay. Unless you might have a tie at one or you left somebody off. But, all right, two, I got Fred Warner. Um, I mean, we talk up, just talked about Nick Bosa and how great he is, but Fred Warner is almost the equivalent, if not the equivalent, at linebacker. I mean, just another guy who does everything for him, for that squad. And I just think that when he's on the field, plays are always going to get made. I have Fred Warner at one. Dang, so you forgot about Shaquille Parentheses Darius Leonard. Hey, I don't think I consider him more of a middle linebacker than off ball. Well, off ball is kind of like inside middle. Well, okay. See, I was I was looking at him as a middle, so that's why I didn't put him on this list. But that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because like typically, all on ball linebackers are ones that typically are more pass rushers. As opposed to off-ball. Okay. But, yeah, I was going to say, you you can't just forget. I, I got to get used to calling him Shaquille. You, got, you can't forget about him. Well, no, nah, if that's the case, then I definitely have a tie with okay. Shaquille and Fred Warner. Yeah, I mean, he's he's so good. I don't like playing with him in Madden, though, because he's not awesome in coverage. And so I like trading him, like, after one game. But in real life, I mean, he's he's a dog. All right, cornerbacks. This is one that I don't think anybody has the same top – five nonetheless top 10 list but let's start off with my five I got my main man Marlon Humphrey I know last year was a bit rough and then suffering that injury against the Steelers I mean it was tough down the stretch for the entire Ravens secondary but now that he's back I think that he's going to continue to show why he is gaining so much hype why he's such a phys- physical player and why he is a cornerback who ranks usually among that top 10. I just think that, like I said, last year was not a great year for anybody in Baltimore secondary, but I think that this is going to be a great chance for him to bounce back, especially with everybody else healthy and more opportunities for him to show why he's the man. Yeah, I also have Marlon Humphrey by everything that you stated, and I just think that when he was healthy, he honestly vied for a higher spot on his list, but because he's coming off injury, 
That's why I think he's that five. That's fair. All right, number four. The man who I think is just getting no respect whatsoever, and that's Tredavious White. I mean, when he was playing last year, he looked like one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Unfortunately, he suffered a torn ACL. There's no exact timetable for when he's coming back. But I just think that Tredavious White, because he's not one of those flashy guys, he doesn't talk stuff. He just comes in and does his job. He does not get the respect that he's given. But you see the difference between when he was on the field in Buffalo and when he was not. Case in point, just watch that Chiefs game if you need a reminder. He is so good and so explosive. When he comes back this year, I think that the Bills have a chance to have the best defense in the league. Uh, for me, at four, I'm going with another guy that I think doesn't get a lot of recognition or a slightly disrespect. I'm going with Darius Slay. Darius Slay is very good. He's not in my top five, but he's definitely in my top ten, and it's weird how he doesn't get put in top ten contention more. All right, number three, J.C. Jackson. I mean, I know we talk about Xavier Howard and him getting picks. I know Trayvon Diggs had 11 last year, but J.C. Jackson, year in and year out, it's not a flash in the pan. You know he's going to get you at least four or five picks. And I think going to San – I mean, not San Francisco, uh, Los Los Angeles, joining the Chargers and the front seven that includes Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. And then behind him he has Derwin James. This has potential to be J.C. Jackson's best year yet. Uh, for me, three. That's why I have to thank you. All right, two. I'm gonna throw some love to Jair Alexander. I mean, he's a guy who, if you look up highlights, it's not many of them. Just because quarterbacks really do not test him, because when they do, it typically does not work out. He's not the biggest cornerback on the field. I believe he's what five ten, five eleven, and he's not the biggest when you look at him from a physical standpoint but I mean he plays terrific coverage and I mean he is a bad bad man going against just about any number one wide receiver it's not often that you see him get beat and he he's definitely earned the right to be on this list yeah number two for me is Jay Alexander as well and then number one I'm gonna throw a bone Jalen Ramsey another great player I mean kind of pretty much has become the standard for the position yeah, I'm in agreement. Jalen Ramsey is a clear cut number one. All right, last and certainly not least, let's talk some safeties. Uh, who is your number five? My number five safety. Uh, I'm going with Jesse Bates. That's fair. For me, I I have a tie. I got Jesse Bates and Tyron Matthew. I think that. Kind of looking at both of these guys, they've kind of been the lifebloods of their defense. Jesse Bates, I like a lot because he makes big plays. We saw that whether it would be interceptions or the big pass deflection he had in the AFC Championship against Tyreek Hill that ended up leading to the pick. I mean, Jesse Bates has those in space, and then Tyron Matthew, I think, is probably one of the best leaders in the league. You see what he was able to help do with that Chiefs defense, and I believe it was – um. oh, my gosh, I'm going to be mad because – linebacker whose name I don't remember but in an interview he said a lot of their defense they could not run when Tyron Matthew was not on the field so it'll be interesting to see how their defense looks but I think that no one can really underestimate how important Tyron is all right four who you got number four I have Tyron Matthew four I'm gonna show some love to a Tennessee Titan Kevin Bayard I mean, everybody really talks about the front seven of Tennessee and how they performed last year, and rightfully so. But I think that Kevin Bayard really reminded everybody why he is a top safety, best member of you guys' secondary. And I think that without him, your defense will look a lot different because of what he's able to do on the back end. Yeah, I 
All right, three, I got Derwin James. Last year was the first year in a couple that he was able to be out there and be healthy. When he's on the field, I mean, he is a disruptor. I've loved him since he came out of Florida State. And I think that this year, kind of similar to what I said about J.C. Jackson, is opportunity for him a really, really big year just because of the pieces in front of him. For me, that's where I have Derwin James. Number two, I got Justin Simmons, another case of a guy who was on a defense last year that was not exactly great, but he, time in and time out, continued to make terrific plays, always finds his way around the ball, hence why he creates so many interceptions. And I think that this year, because teams are, I feel like, going to be having to play catch-up with Russell Wilson back there, I think, in that uh, offensive backfield, I think that teams are going to start throwing the ball more, which is going to lead to more plays made by Justin Simmons. I got Minka. I think that I got a hard time going against Minka. I know last year it was not as explosive as the year before, but I mean Minka Fitzpatrick is just a baller. Whether it be getting those interceptions, getting in rushing the passer, being man to man coverage, I mean Minka is incredibly versatile as a player in general, and I think that that continues to show and why he's had so much success, especially since joining the Steelers a few years back. Yeah, I still don't like him, though. But I got to give respect to Steelers players when it's due. But actually kind of in talking about uh, Mr. Wilson, there was an interesting comment made by Maurice Jones-Drew, currently working for NFL Network, and talking about the AFC West quarterbacks when he said, I believe Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. Is that believable or buffoonery? Um, being honest, I'm going to say buffoonery because I think that they are more equal than people think. I think that Derek Carr has had, he hasn't really had a lot of team um, cohesion around him as far as like having adequate players, especially on the defensive side of the football, for him to like really like step up in the upper echelon of quarterbacks. And I think now that Russell's a little older, yes, you can talk about his accomplishments, but you also can have the actual of like a lot of his accomplishments that he has in his career were a byproduct of the team that he was drafted to. And granted, you can say this for a lot of quarterbacks, but Russell, he does have a Super Bowl, and in that Super Bowl run, he wasn't even the top player on the offensive side of the football. So I think that, I'm not going to say Derek Carr is better, but I think they're a lot, they're kind of like in the even playing field realm. Oh, how people forget. I know the NFL is a what have you done for me lately type league, and I get it. Last year was not the best year that Russ had. I think I was actually just looking at the stats. He was, what, 22nd in passing yards, but we also have to remember he missed about a month of action. But with that being said, just look at what he has had to play behind. His offensive line has been terrible. His defense couldn't catch a cold. Like, 
it's been so bad and yet Russell Wilson has always found a way to help bring his team to the starting gate unfortunately has it led to much playoff success no but there have been so many games that I've witnessed and you're a former Seahawks fan so I know you've seen it too where the Seahawks should not have won that game but somehow some way Russell Wilson has continued to make plays to make it happen and I mean I get it after last season, you kind of question if he can still be that guy. I get it, but if you look at what he has in Denver, he has a better defense. He has a much better offensive line. Not as good of a receiving core, but, I mean, it's still fine, and he's still Russell. Better running game behind him. I think that Russell Wilson is going to be one of those guys who is going to come out the gates hot and stay hot. We've kind of seen it happen in Seattle, but, unfortunately, the team would kind of get scared and go back to running the ball so much. I think in this case I think when Russ is allowed to cook Russ is a top five quarterback and I think this is year he reminds everyone of that and that's no disrespect to Derek Carr I think Derek Carr does not receive the respect that he deserves I think he's a top 10 quarter hold on did I lie okay not top 10 but I think a top 12 quarterback but to say he's better than Russell Wilson is blasphemy Especially because let's if we're looking at just overall success, when have we looked at Derek Carr since what was that the 2016 season when he got hurt? When we we could ever say he looked like an MVP candidate? No. Exactly. Whereas with Russell Wilson, for like what was that the 2019 season, the year that Lamar won it, when the Seahawks started the year nine and two, Russ looked like an MVP. But then, as I mentioned, the offense changed. They stopped letting Russ cook. Things changed. Last year, early in the year, he looked like a legit MVP candidate. Unfortunately, he got hurt. So, it's okay. It's all right. Y'all going to show my brother-in-law some respect, but I'm calling buffoonery. Speaking of my brother-in-law and the other realm of black quarterbacks in the league, Patrick Mahomes got candid on his thoughts regarding the quote-unquote weird criticisms of black quarterbacks. He said, Obviously, the black quarterback has had to battle to be in this position that we are in to have this many guys in the league playing. Every day, we're proving that we should have been playing the whole time. We've got guys that can think just as well as they can use their athleticism. It's always weird when you see guys like me, Lamar Jackson, Kyler kind of get uh, get that on them when other guys don't but at the same time we're going out there improving ourselves every day to show we can be some of the best quarterbacks in the league he added you always feel like you have more to prove I promise Tom Brady is feeling like he has more to prove that comes with any sport any competitor if you're not getting better you're getting worse they build you up to tear you down you got to kind of know that for me it's all about how I can make myself better not what other people say how can I make myself better so that we go out there and play football games at the end of the day nothing matters until you're on the football field playing and that's where you prove who you are every single day I mean this is not the first time that race has been brought into the quarterback discussion but believable or buffoonery do you feel like black quarterbacks are criticized more than other quarterbacks oh most definitely um I think for one they're criticized because they are it's always of do they have the mental capacity to lead the team or in the case of like even similar with this Kyler Murray situation of like is he um, studying as much as his Caucasian counterparts and things of that nature and I think the reality of it is it's these guys 
guys, they do put in the same amount of work. You, I feel like a big thing is you can't fault an athlete if they are, if they have a particular athletic skill set that is better than another. Like, you can't fault Lamar Jackson for being one of the most elusive quarterbacks of all time and one of the most athletic quarterbacks from a scrimmage standpoint of all time. You can't follow him for that. A lot of times in your career, when it comes down to black quarterbacks, you always hit the term like they tend to rely on their athletic capabilities. Okay, they have athletic capabilities. You aren't saying, you don't say, you don't hear those same things when you hear people talk about Josh Allen. Like, you don't hear people always saying, with like, oh, whenever he gets in trouble, he just scrambles. But you hear when you hear when you hear people talk about Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and even to some extent Patrick Mahomes. Like you hear you hear it all the time with black quarterbacks, but you don't hear it. And the reality of it is, it's like, in my personal opinion, as an athlete, your job is to use all of your athletic capabilities to win football games, regardless of what they are. Yeah, I think that you really hit it on the head because I was my example was going to be Josh Allen. Because, for example, one of the biggest criticisms that you and I have had and a lot of other people have had about the Buffalo Bills is he has to be their passing and their running game. But nobody gets on him for running the ball. Nobody gets on him for electing to try to hurdle people or things like that. We don't talk about that. But let Lamar do it. Let Kyler do it. It's like, oh, they run the ball too much. Oh, they're going to get hurt. They're doing this. They're doing that. And it's like, what's the difference? We praise Aaron Rodgers for his ability to scramble and try to create plays downfield. But when you see Patrick Mahomes do it, he can only look at one read. Like, it's just weird to me with regards to, like, how when white quarterbacks do it, it's seen as one thing. Whereas when black quarterbacks do it, it's seen as another. Like, I don't. I don't like that. And don't get me wrong. I don't think in every case race is an issue. Like, I sent you the um, the statement by Warren Moon where he said that it was racially motivated that Kyle, they put the stipulation of Kyler Murray having to study. It's not racially motivated. The dude just doesn't study film independently. He needs to study. I don't see a problem with that. And so, and then another case like Deshaun Watson, people think it's racial that people are so upset at him. No, people are mad at him because it's a creep. He's doing creep shit. So I just don't think that every conversation is wrapped around race. But in the case of just different uh, criticisms about athleticism and things like that, I think that it is there. Because you've never heard anybody say, oh, well, I think that Josh Allen should play tight end because in college he ran around a bit and had a bigger body. But there were so many people who thought Lamar Jackson should play wide receiver and even – I asked him to work out as a wide receiver during the pre-draft process. So, yeah, I think the criticisms definitely are different. But let's talk about somebody who I think we both kind of have fun criticizing, and that's the Dallas Cowboys because they say interesting stuff like this. This time it is Trayvon Diggs, cornerback, who had this to say when talking about the team's defense. When Dan Quinn was in Seattle, they had everything. That defense was crazy. We got the same type of guys. We can do the exact same things as long as we really put our minds to it. We can be even better than them. So believable or buffoonery. This year's Cowboys defense will be better 
than the Legion of Boom. <laughs> I'm just gonna use a word word answer. Uh, a great man by the name of Jordan Peele made a movie with this word that I'm using. Nope. <laughs> it's so funny. Like it's one thing to say you could be on that level. It's a whole nother thing to say you could be better. Like, who's who? What safety do you have? Who's gonna be um? Who's gonna be Earl? Who do y'all have hidden back there that's gonna be Cam Chancellor? You're not even Richard Sherman. Like. <laughs> And then you look at the defensive line like you're crazy. I guess you could say Micah would be, um, I guess Micah is uh, Bobby Wagner, but who's Michael no, Bennett? No, no, no. Who, no, I'm not saying they're comparable, but, like, looking at the yeah. linebackers, that I guess if you're picking and choosing, like, it's it's just really funny to me. Oh, Cowboys fans. This is why their fans are delusional because their players are delusional too. But kind of talking about delusion, Chase Claypool has said some pretty questionable stuff over the course of this offseason, but he has finally said something that may have a little bit of merit to it. Uh, when talking about his teammate, George Pickens, he said, I think he's going to be the best rookie receiver in the NFL. Let's be honest, we've gotten some really nice rookie receivers over the, pa- over the past couple of years, but believable or buffoonery, George Pickens will be the shining star of this year's wide receiver rookie class. Um, it's going to be hard to say yes, because for one, you have a guy that was, two guys that we mentioned earlier in place, Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson, that are going to get like more looks than him. I think he might be the better receiver down the line once he gets an actual opportunity. But you have guys that are being drafted that are, or that are drafted that are being looked at more as like number ones already, like. For instance, uh, Traylon Burks he got drafted by my Titans. Gary Wilson is another one. Yeah, Gary Wilson. I, but I, I've been reading reports where it's like Traylon Burks is, is already taking reps with the ones on offense. And so, yeah, and like with the void over A.J. Brown, he could potentially step in and fill in that role. Not to the same extent, obviously, but he could potentially step in and fit the role as a number one. So I think you have a lot of guys that are like supremely talented when they are in like a better position to have a more productive career just because of the team that they got drafted to. Yeah, I feel you on that. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say buffoonery as well. But I think kind of as you mentioned down the stretch. Uh, George Pickens could wind up proving to be that guy because I mean he does have a lot of potential I liked him coming into this fold I mean I think that if they can all stay healthy I think that honestly the Steelers could have a top 10 wide receiver group if not maybe a little higher uh, if he is able to come on then you factor in Calvin Austin another Memphis man who I hold balls out I mean, I think that George Pickens definitely has potential, but like you said, I think there are other wide receivers in better positions to get more targets than he will at this point of their careers. But all right, last question before we give our SummerSlam recap. We talking wide receivers. We got to talk the two best rookie wide receivers of the past couple of years, my LSU Tigers, the gang, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Uh, Following practice earlier this week, Jamar Chase was asked about his boy, Justin Jefferson, to where he said, he, I'm better than Justin. It's fun to play the comparison game. I love them both. It's like asking me to pick my favorite child. But... 
Ethan, your team needs a receiver. Who would you rather have, Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase? Being honest, from just a part, I'll preface it by saying this. I think that Justin Jefferson is the overall better receiver. I agree. But if I'm going by what I like in a receiver, I'm taking Jamar. That's fair. I mean, I don't think there's not think there's no wrong answer. I agree. I think that Jay Jet is is the better receiver, but Jamar is more explosive. But for what my Ravens need at this moment, I said I would say Jay Jettas. I think that we're gonna have explosiveness with Lamar and then just being there. But I just need somebody who I can trust consistently when the ball is in the air, get those yak yards, a terrific route runner who's gonna get open. So I would take Justin Jefferson, but I mean, when I play Madden, I get both of them. So I got the best of both worlds. But I ain't talking about the best of both worlds. Let's go ahead and move on to our SummerSlam 2022 recap. For those of you who missed it, here's what happened. Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch put on a clinic at SummerSlam, but the ESC comes out in impressive fashion. But to make things more interesting, we get the return of quite a few uh, fan favorites um next up i couldn't tell you anything about logan paul the youtuber but as a wrestler he shows some moxie against the miz and his crew getting the win um next up a sneak attack by theory was not enough to stop bobby lashley from reminding us all that he is in fact the almighty edge exacts revenge against judgment day which helps the mysterios capitalize to get a victory pat mcafee takes down happy corbin with the help of a low blow the usos remain the class of the tag team division and montez for it looks like he's about to snap um next up the little weirdo ronnie lost at SummerSlam because she's garbage and then finally despite literally being piled dry driven by a tractor the tribal chief remains at the head of the table after nearly killing brock lesnar in terms of predictions it was pretty close i came out on top six to two ethan that brock lesnar match is what got you you finished five and three so this is your first recap in a while so i'll let you go first what was your favorite match my favorite match uh so originally when we talked about this off air, I said the Miz and Logan Paul, mm-hmm. but like after fully finishing SummerSlam, I definitely have to say the last man standing match. Yeah, that <laughs> track that was freaking wild. Uh, for me, it was Becky versus Bianca, and I think it's a little bit more impressive just because Becky did was separate his shoulder. I mean, these two women have put on great matches since they first stepped in. The, well, actually, that's a lie. Since um the start of the year, because we don't got to talk about last year's SummerSlam. But, I mean, just over the overall, I feel like this was a great conclusion to the rivalry, great storytelling between the two. So, yeah, it was my, it was my favorite match. All right, what was your favorite moment? Favorite moment? Uh, the tractor. <laughs> the, tra- <laughs> the tractor was wild. That's that's a very good point. Uh, my. Like, nah, go I ahead. was gonna say, but like for me, like I'm I'm a semi country boy. Mm-hmm. So like when I saw him driving the tractor, I was like, bro. Like even though I knew he came into play. But, like, when I saw him, like, turn around, walk back up and walk up to the tractor, I was like, bro, this is about to be amazing. And it was. It it was. I had, I honest to God could not tell you what I thought was going to happen with that tractor. 
but I'm so happy that I didn't try to guess because it was it was amazing. Uh, yeah, my favorite moment though was returns of Dakota Kai and Io Shirai when Becky. I'm not Becky. When Bailey's music hit, I honestly had forgotten she got new music, and I was like, oh okay, it's Bailey. But then I saw Io. And I saw Dakota, and I got hyped. I love them in NXT, and I'm so excited to see what they're able to do on the main roster. And, yeah, Bailey's cool, too. All right, increased and decreased stock. Who you got? Uh, decreased stock, I'm going to say Happy Corbin. Okay. Increased stock, Montez Ford. I feel that. I have increased stock, the bloodline. Of course, Roman wins, which... I think a lot of people expected, but that match was just mad entertaining. And then those uh, Usos winning, which I don't think is as surprising. But, I mean, the bloodline stands tall again. I mean, I think uh, Roman is closing in on over 700 days as champion. The Usos have been remarkable. Personally, I think that they're the best tag team in the world, and I'll argue that with anybody. I mean, the bloodline just continues to prevail. My decrease is, as a team... I'm sorry, but profits are down. I mean, I I feel you on the Montez kind of like rising individually, but like in terms of the street profits, it's like, yes, they're entertaining. Yes, they make for good TV. Yes, they make good matches, but it's just like, if you're not going to make them champion, what's the point? And I think that, especially based off this past episode of Raw, it looks like they're really gearing up towards breaking them up. It's just a matter of time, especially because we know Montez Ford is a bad man in the ring and Angelo is cool. So, But as a tag team, I unfortunately, I have to say that uh, profits are down. All right, so your one booking decision. What is one thing that you would have done differently about this show? One booking decision. Uh, honestly, since we're on the topic, Street profits. My one booking decision is I would have made D'Angelo turn on Montez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel and, that. Yeah, because I mean, I think like they've they've hit the apex of their momentum as a tag team, and it's clear that Montez is about to at some point start a singles career. Why not do it to where it's like, hey, you. You can build him up as a babyface because I don't think Montez is going to be a heel when he turns into a singles competitor. And you can potentially have just the whole element of surprise of like those got oh, one of those guys turning on the other. And like this always been one of my favorite things in like recent memories of like WWE. It's like I remember when Chamber turns on Johnny Gargano and it was like this big thing. And, like, I do kind of, like, when they split tag teams up and they make it, like, a... A few. Um, yeah, a few to begin, like, the um, singles career of one of the better members of a tag team. It's actually wild that you mentioned that because I literally was just watching the Tommaso Ciampa-Johnny Gargano match at TakeOver uh, New Orleans, and it's... Oh, my gosh. That's, if anybody got Peacock or just wants to relive some of the best days of NXT, just go ahead and watch NXT TakeOver New York. I mean, not New York, New Orleans. It's... It's life-changing. Uh, yeah, my one book decision, not to copy off you, I'm going to go with Seth Rollins having a match. I feel like the show, it did kind of run long, which is why Liv and Ronda didn't get much time, but, I mean, who cares? But I think that it would have been better. I get having him fight Riddle. It makes sense, especially kind of just to 
get both of them on the show but i think that seth could have been better utilized i think he could have had a match with somebody you got all these people in the back that have nothing better to do go ahead and just throw them in a match for like 10 15 minutes let it be a banger all right what was your biggest wtf moment biggest wtf moment uh it was a lot (laughs) for me personally I think for me, I am going to say, I don't know, because it's like, I haven't been, like, I'm just now recently getting back into wrestling, Mm -hmm. so, like, the whole baby returning thing, like, that didn't have as big of a, like, draw for me, because it's like, I'm just like what I hadn't watched, and so like I didn't even know Bailey was out, and like that was a big return. Right. I thought it was just like a thing that happened. Uh, I probably would say seeing Pat McCaffrey doing like all the moves that he done, because it's like my first time really watching the Pat McCaffrey match. What? Yeah, because I mean when he started wrestling, this when I fell out of watching. Wrestling. Okay, that's fair. What? So like seeing seeing him do all of those things was like was really dope well if you want a good pat mcafee match watch his one against adam cole the first one i don't remember which takeover it is but i can look it up it's it's freaking amazing um and then he did a war games match too which also showed me that pat mcafee was a badass uh my wtf moment like i said i had quite a few but i'm sorry i can't go against brock in that damn tractor like i said i don't know what i expected of it but I'm so happy we got what he got. Like him, him bulldozing the ring and just seeing Roman just topple over was perfection. It was hilarious. So, yeah, I have to go that tractor. All right. So, for your first pay per view back, what would you grade it? How WWE do? I'll give it a, a A minus. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I thought it was pretty great. Um, shout out to Triple H, his first pay-per-view. Um, now is the head of creative. I'm really excited to see what he does from there. But I love SummerSlam. It's probably my favorite pay-per-view of the year. But, all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net, our Pete export.net, for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube episode our youtube channel called the export also before we let you go the fantasy football guide will be out next week so be on the lookout for that as we said our fantasy football draft will be taking place next friday at 8 30 very excited and something else i'm excited for the first football game the first piece of nfl action we are getting comes tomorrow night the hall of fame game the jacksonville jaguars versus the las vegas raiders Hold your britches. You're not going to see Devontae Adams. You're not going to see Darren Waller. You're probably not going to see Derek Carr. I don't think you're going to see Trevor Lawrence either. But damn it, we got football. So, Ethan, I don't know if you're going to watch the game. But if you are, who who are some players that you're looking forward to seeing in this game? If you watch it. Um, I plan on watching it. Um, James Robinson because he might be on my fantasy team. Okay. Travis Etienne because he – He's coming back from injury also. I don't think Travis is going to play. But, yeah, if he is, that will okay. be somebody. Uh, just – and just D-lineman. Like, that's my thing, D-lineman and linebacker. So, 
just seeing how both sides look on the defensive front seven. Got you. All right, so starting off with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm going to talk about – I'm going to look at the first overall pick that no one is talking about, and that's Trayvon Walker. I mean, I think that even though there were some big questions of if he should have been the first overall pick, he's there, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he fits into this defensive mode. I ain't going to lie to you. If Devin Lloyd was playing, I would have probably said him, but it'll still be nice to see what the first overall uh, pick can do. Um, another player for Jacksonville – Andre Cisco, a safety last year who sold some potential. I liked him a lot coming out of Syracuse. Maybe this will be the year that he finally takes over and really shows some uh, nice potential. And then with regards to the Raiders, as I mentioned, most of the big names are not going to be playing. Um, I want to see Jonathan Abram. This could possibly be his last year with the Raiders, his last opportunity to really show what he can do on that back end. Another guy who I really like coming out, and I hope that this will be kind of a renaissance year for him. And then on the offensive side of the ball, you know what? I'm looking forward to watching Dylan Parham, offensive line, offensive guard out of the University of Memphis. Shout out to my my Tigers, even though, you know, there's another Tigers team that I love a little bit more. But I'm excited to see what he can do, um, really hoping he steps into that offensive line and can provide a big boost, especially with Richie Incognito retiring. And with the defenses that the charge, I mean, not charges, the Raiders going to be facing, they need as much protection as they can get. So, yeah, I'm excited. Um, also, next week will be the start of our division breakdowns where we'll get into more players and stuff that we're looking at. But that's our show. Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close out this bad boy? Um, obviously, go Titans. Uh, I'm not going to laugh. I'm digging the, the Roman Reigns heel thing. I do kind of wish he could lose his title, though, just to add a, a different layer to it. Like, if he loses his title, he just go crazy. I think he would. You're actually the second person to say that to me since SummerSlam. And I get it, but also kind of going to my gripes with WWE, it's like they haven't really built anybody up to take it from him. So rather than him losing both times, I'd rather them just split the championships up again so there'll be a champion on Raw and a champion on SmackDown. But we shall see. I'm really excited to see what the Triple H era has for us. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you all next week.